If you'd take your Bibles, go to Psalm 139, and while you're turning there, it doesn't have a lot to do with what we're talking about, but it does have a lot to do with what we're talking about. Um, October 21st, just in a couple Saturdays, we're going to have the opportunity for Uniontown Bible Church to get off the hill in a very real way. We're going to have a chance to head into Union Bridge as a body of believers and to jump in and, and do work in this, the town of Union Bridge, it, it, it's going to look like a lot of different things. It's going to look like cleaning. It's going to look like some raking. It's going to look like perhaps some painting. It's going to look like just encouraging the hearts of those people who call Union Bridge home. And, and so it's our passion and our desire. It's been something we have said a bazillion times in the last year. Church, we need to get off the hill. This is an incredible opportunity for us to do that. And so we're praying that 100 people from Uniontown Bible Church sign up and get involved in this incredible opportunity. So after our service, you can sign up out in the, the lobby area. I would encourage you to do that uh, as we seek to find ways to be for our neighbors. And this is one easy one. So, so any of you nervous? I'm not which should make you all very nervous. Um, Again, I want to begin by just explaining why in the world we're doing this. Why why would a church decide to take three Sundays in a row and work through the issues of gender and marriage and sexuality? That is, by, by and far, that is not a church growth strategy in any book. Why would we do this? Well, because if we don't, if we remain silent, it's almost as if we're pretending as if conflict doesn't exist. And the problem with that is, is even though I hate conflict, there's, there's a sense of purifying that happens within conflict, and, and it gives God a chance to do what I can't do, which is bring peace in the midst of conflict. So we can't stay silent because that would just be us sticking our heads in the ground and pretending like nothing was happening. We can't stay silent. As a pastor, I can't stay silent because that would be... Um, that would be pastoral malpractice on my part, expecting each one of you to go off the hill into the world that we live in, into the teeth of this monster without giving you an opportunity and, and, and taking the time, that, the stewardship of time that I have to prepare you to walk out. So our prayer and desire is that this actually serves you well as parents, as um, people who live in, in Carroll County and beyond. To remain silent would be to act like we have it all figured out. Newsflash, we don't. And we prove it over and over again. So this morning, I'm really, I'm going to deal with gender, and I'm going to be real honest. I'm only going to be able to deal with pieces of the total argument. Um, as we walk through this, and as you consider this today and beyond, if questions come up in your mind, I want to encourage you, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, the elders and pastors are going to be available for anybody that comes, and we're just going to have a time where you can ask anything that comes to mind as ridiculous and crazy as you think it is. And if it's too crazy, we'll just tell you that's too crazy. But, but it'll give you an opportunity to ask those questions, and we'll walk through it together uh, in a more uh, intimate-type setting. So that's going to be Wednesday at 7, and we'll remind you of that a few times. Um, this morning, if, if, if there was a phrase that was really going to be what drives us, it's this. Your gender is determined by God's perfect design, not your imperfect desires. 
So that, that's going to kind of couch our in, entire conversation. Uh, the elders have been busy about putting together a statement on each of these issues, and so we have that statement pretty much done. Um, we're going to distribute it at the end of this series, um, but I want to make sure I just continue to put these paragraphs in front of you. So this morning, this is, this is the beginning of our statement. It says this, our views on these issues, these issues being gender, marriage, sexuality, flow from our commitment to God and to His Word. And there's the, the references there for you. That everything that we do in gender, marriage, sexuality, it, it, it's, uh, it's anchored in on our commitment to God, our commitment to His Word. It's not anchored in on logic or emotion or feeling or what's even best for us as a church. It's anchored in on God and who He is. So, so you, you know the, the, the famous verse in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Everything we do is anchored in on our commitment to God. We're going to love Him with absolutely everything we have in us. So the Lord alone is God. No one else is. No one else takes God's seat. It doesn't matter if you're the state, if you're the Supreme Court, if you're family, if it's your friends, if it's your favorite author or your favorite pastor. No one takes God's authority in this area. God's authority is explained to us when we open up His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for, for, for teaching. It's profitable for, for reproof or rebuke, for correction that's, that's getting us back on the right path, for training in righteousness, for, for preparing us for what lies ahead. So that the man of God may be complete, may be qualified, that he might be equipped for every good work, that he might have all that he needs in order to accomplish everything that lies ahead. Our authority lies in God and in his word. So remember that as we continue on. Let me um, define some words. This, so just going to be straight up honest with you, this is the most awkward part of this message. I'm going to define some words, and I'm going to use words that I usually don't get to use while I'm preaching. Actually, the words I usually don't use very much at all, thankfully. My wife says thank you for me not using those words sometimes, too. Um, so here you go. So, so define some words. Sex. Not, not the physical, intimate act and the physical act in a marriage relationship, but, but sex. Sex is our physical, our biological, and our, 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 our reproductive, and our chemical makeup. Okay, it's, it's the science of who we are. So, so if you think about the female sex, they have chromosomes that are XX. In their reproductive system, they, they, they have ovaries, and their predominant chemical or ho- hormone is estrogen. Then, then for the male sex, they have the XY chromosome. Their reproductive organs uh, include testes, and, and their predominant chemical and hormone is testosterone. So, so please understand, when you hear the word sex, that's what that's talking about. That is a physical, biological, reproductive, and chemical makeup. Gender, gender is something different. Gender used to be synonymous with sex, but today it's changed, and now gender is viewed uh, um, really as the social and the legal status of, of a male or a female. 
Um, today in our culture, um, and this is not assigning right or wrong to it, I'm just saying it and stating it as fact, in our culture today, you can choose or self-assign your gender. That's what, one of the reasons we're dealing with this topic. Um, gender really is, what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? How do I act? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I look like? What do I dress like? That, that's what, what gender is. Okay, so, so those are those two terms. A, a term that's way more common today than it ever has been before is the term intersex. Um, intersex is when your physical, biological, reproductive, chemical characteristics don't allow you to be defined as distinctly male or female. They don't fit the typical definitions of, of male or female sex, not gender, but sex. Um, there's three different categories. Let me walk through them for you. There's, there's true intersex. What that means, it's very rare, but what that means is when a baby is born, it, it contains both reproduct, internal reproductive organs, both reproductive genitalia, and, and, and some of them even have both XX and XY chromosomes. And so there's, there's some ambiguity as to what gender this child is now. True intersex, where it's a complete mix of both 100% and 100%, that is incredibly rare. In fact, it's, it's been recorded as happening only about 400 times. It's very rare. The other one, the one that's most common is the female pseudo. That means that they, they have the female chromosomes. So if you were to do a, a DNA test, you would find the female chromosomes, which are XX, but the sexual organs are actually male. Then you have the male pseudo, where it's the opposite. If you were to do a DNA test, you would find male chromosomes, which are XY, but then the sexual organs would be female. So, so let, me, let me just say this. Now, while true intersex is incredibly rare, the intersex condition in the medical community is not as rare as you would think. Um, these specifically, and, and then there's other types of intersex, these are the general types, but um, where there's a, a sense of ambiguity within both the physical and, 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 med and um, chemical makeup of the child, uh, they can occur in one out of every 2,000 births. Um, it's not uncommon. We're going to deal with that a little bit more specifically later uh, as we walk through this. The final term that I need to define for you is the term transgender. Transgender and intersex are not the same thing. Intersex is a physical, chemical, medical condition. Transgender uh, is appearing as or wishing to be considered as perhaps even undergoing the surgery to look more like the opposite sex than what you were born as. Um, and, and I shouldn't have to explain it, but I will. A male who is uh, male makeup, he has the male chromosomes, the male sexual organs, the, 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 the male chemical, uh, and he decides that he is going to present himself to everybody who would see him instead of as a male, as a female and vice versa. So to, to cut the chase, that really is what most of our conversation is going to, to anchor around. Okay, so there's the definitions. Man, am I glad those are done. Sheesh. <laughs> I have science and biology teachers that are like, seriously, you are saying that? You were unconscious in class, bro. Yeah, I was. That's true. <laughs> 
All right, so as is the case with all of the messages in this series, I want to present four different aspects, and I want to walk through it this way. I want to start with conviction, then I'm going to go to concerns, then I'm going to talk about courage, and then last I want to end with compassion. So we're going to begin with conviction. So, so conviction, what is it um, that we believe the Bible teaches in this specific area of gender? And so here is the statement that you'll receive later, but let me put this in front of you for a little while. It says this, we believe that God wonderfully creates each person as male and female, reflecting the image and the nature of God. Their sex being determined not by their self-perception, but by biology at birth. Um, where do we get this from? So let me, let me begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, so God excuse me, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see that? That's Genesis 1.27. You see that, right? So, so male and female, he created them. So very specifically, what happens is God has created. The, the God, everything begins. <laughs> I'm going to use two quotes right here that I heard this week that blew the doors off me. Everything begins with a God who never began. Wrap your head around that one for a few minutes. Everything begins with a God who never began. A God who is so mighty, so powerful, so great, so awesome, so full of glory, majesty, and wonder that, that when he called out into nothing, something had to obey. That's our God. And so our God, the uncreated one who is dependent on no other thing, no other being, created something that wasn't previously there, and, 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 and lots of some things that weren't previously there, and then you get to the pinnacle of all of his creation, the, the, the very capstone of his creative wonder, beauty, and, and power, and where he lands on is, is he creates man and he creates woman, and he creates them both in his image. That means with the ability to think, to know, to reason, to choose, to have relational abilities. Folks, this was not a freak biological accident. Let me, let me deal with this, too. It wasn't as if God created man, left the garden for a little while, came back and went, don't, there's another one. And it looks different. This is not a, a, a mysterious thing that has occurred. God's creative wonder, he reached down and he formed both male and female. And he created them in God's very image. So we must embrace and wrap our heads around and, 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 and exclaim that both male and female are created in the image of God. Do not fall for the lie that, that God is, is feminine and males are just a beastly, brutal distortion, which, I mean, some guys really are. But in both, God created male and female, and he created them perfectly. He, he created them in a way that demonstrated his incredible artistic ability. The different genders, the different sexes, male and female, complement each other perfectly. It's artistry. It's artistry. Let me, let, me, let me help you understand that the compliment that comes between male and female is a very picture of modern-day art. I know this not because I'm an incredible Picasso-like person. I have a, a very close relative who is very good and gifted at the area of art. She understands this stuff. 
So I asked her a lot of questions. I still messed it up. So this morning I had to Google it again. That being said, here is the picture of complementarianism. The picture is the color wheel. Any of you know what the color wheel is? All the colors, you go all the way around, all that good stuff. Okay. When you take a color and you go straight across that color wheel, the one that is, is directly across from it is its complementary color. So, so if you look at the color wheel, you've got purple and yellow, red and green, blue and orange. Right? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel the look, so I thought I got it. I didn't feel it, like, oh, here he goes again. I got it, okay. So, so purple, yellow, red, green, blue, orange. So you're, you're, they're completely across from the wheel from each other. Here's the amazing part. The complementary colors on the color wheel, when, when, when they're next to each other, when they're aligned with each other, they create the strongest contrast possible for those individual colors. Your yellow will pop wonderfully when you put it next to purple. I wouldn't suggest you paint your kitchen in yellow and purple, but if you want a little hint, there you have it. So when you align those complementary colors, the color is, is brighter, it's more vibrant, it, it, it's more filled with contrast than at any other time. That's just, that's the way colors work. Here's the crazy part, though. When you take complementary colors, and instead of it being across from each other or next to each other, but you put it on top of each other, you know what it does? It turns to gray instantly. It loses all of its color. God created us male and female. He created us with intentionality and purpose. He created us very, very different. And He did so to create a strength within us as His people that otherwise we wouldn't have. That is God's perfect design. He has created us male and female. Now, um, I'm going to have you go to Psalm 139. If you're not there already, it's taken me a long time to get there, and I'm going to be Completely honest, this is the part that I'm looking forward to because this is the part I'm most comfortable with. The science, the biology, blah, give me this. And let me just talk for a while. And unfortunately, I'm only gonna be in this for a couple minutes, but I, I think this will help set our minds on it. Psalm 139 is this, this picture of God's perfect design. So he created us male and female, but he also created us in his perfect design, with perfect biology. So, so a little background of the beginning of Psalm 139 before we, we get to the, the, the verses at hand. You, you get this great prayer from David, and you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You, you know my thoughts from way far off. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it. Consider that today. You, you hem me and you're behind me, you're in front of me, you're to the right, you're to the left, your knowledge, I can't even comprehend it, you are so high, and then, and then it doesn't matter where I go, wherever I go, you are always with me. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, you are there. Your hand is going to lead me, your right hand will hold me, the darkness may even cover me, but to you, God, darkness isn't dark. Like, God, I cannot escape you. And then David goes into this beautiful conversation about how he was created, how he was designed. Verse 13, you, God, formed my inward parts. You are the one who knitted me together in my mother's womb. See, see you're not just tissue. Oh, no, 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 no. You are a living being created by God. You, you, you're not just a, a, a piece of, of 
chemicals that have somehow miraculously bonded together through millions and millions of years of evolution. You are intricately designed and fashioned together by a master craftsman. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are a very product of God's creativity. And for David, it brings him to the place of of praise. Even if we just know the the very basics of how we are put together, you can't help but exclaim praise to God. Those are the moments for me as a dad where where when Stephanie would be pregnant and we would would be knowing that the baby was coming, we had a due date and everything. There was even signs that Stephanie was pregnant, and and that was because she ate a lot of brownies. Um, Different things happened too, but but, but that happened. Um, but, but, But the thing for me, it was like, yeah, that's all fine and good, that's all fine and good. But the moment that I got to go and see the ultrasound, now then. Now the first ultrasound. Now that was a letdown. No, that's okay, okay, cool, that's cool, that's mind-blowing, that's cool, but it really doesn't, until you see the second ultrasound when you show up and it's like, that's a kid. That's my kid. Oh, he's got my ears. I don't understand how it all works, but God, oh, that is you. That's the exclamation that comes from David in verse 14. Verse 15, he says, my frame, some believe he's talking about his, his skeletal structure. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in secret in, in his mother's womb, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, intricately woven. Oh, ladies, how many of you like sewing? Because that's what this is. The most intricate pattern that you could ever comprehend, the most difficult pattern, embroidered skillfully and creatively put together in such a way that it is the most beautiful garment ever seen. The the phrasing here is the same that is used in Exodus chapter 26 when it talks about the curtain that hangs in front of the tabernacle and it it talks about this this incredible fabric that is used and woven together and the people were in awe when they saw its beauty. This is what David is speaking of in verse 15. I was intricately woven together piece by piece even though nobody even saw me. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He says, you, you knew me when, when I was still forming. The unformed substance is the, the Hebrew word golem, and it's the idea of an embryo that's, that's growing and being nurtured in its mother's womb and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he says, you, you knew me when I was a peanut. You knew me, and you, you didn't just know me like, oh, there's one there, and there's one there. No, not only did you know me, you knew exactly what was going to happen in my life from here on out. You knew every day that was being created for me, every day that was formed for me. You, you knew where this was headed in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Your plans, your thoughts for me, God, are mind-blowing. They're precious, they're wonderful, and they are relevant because there isn't a day that goes by that he's not with us. The master creator had his hands on your life while you were being formed within the womb of your mother. And because God is intricately and intimately involved in your formation, 
to reject that design in your specific individual life is to reject God's design on your life. And that is sin. That's why we say it's by design, not by desires. So what are some of the concerns that the culture around us are going to bring up? What are some of the arguments that we'll we'll have to face head on? The first, without question, is going to be how we deal with situations of the intersexed. Again, the definition of an intersect is the one who is born with either ambiguous, ambiguous, let me get it right, put the emphasis in the wrong syllable. <laughs> I got that wrong. Ambiguous, there we go, ambiguous reproductive organs, um, something that makes it difficult to identify uh, whether this is male or female. What, what do we do with that? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be really a straight shooter on this one. I do not have a lot of answers on that one. Um, the, the answers that I could give you are this. Romans 8 talks about the whole earth groaning for redemption, to be free from the effects of sin. I, I'm confident that in some way that the intersexed are, are born with, it's, it's, it's almost as if it was a, well, it is, it's a birth defect. It's but I want to be careful with that because I don't want any of us to think that those who are intersexed are the walking victims of God's judgment because they're not. No more than you and I are. That They are, however, um, in an incredibly unique position to display the full grace of God to a watching world. That does not mean it's easy. Put yourself in their shoes. How easy is that? Well, Frank, how do you know they're not the victims of of God's judgment? Well, I know that because of this wonderful story we find in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, it's wonderful. The disciples look at Jesus and they say to Him, Rabbi, uh, who sinned? Was it this blind man or this blind man's parents? That's like a softball for Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, seriously? All right. It wasn't this man, and it wasn't his parents. It was so that in this moment, the works of God could be displayed in him. And it's amazing. He he says, having said these things, the blind man must have just been standing there. Having said those things, and and, and the blind man's not deaf, by the way. I just want to pick that up. He, he, He never said anything up to this point. The disciples are picking, picking up his cause. And so, as, they, as he's standing there, and the disciples are like, who sinned? And Jesus is like, really? Nobody. So that the works of God could be seen in him. And then he, <laughs> the poor blind guy hears this. And Jesus spits in the ground. He takes the clay, and he sticks it on his eyes, and he, and he does that. He says, now, I want you to go wash in that pool. And, and, and so the man goes, and he washes off the, the mud, which he had to be a little torqued at the moment. Somebody just spit in his face. But he goes to the pool and he washes it off and the most amazing thing happens. The man born blind sees. Hmm. I love this part of the story because his neighbors come to him. They see, I, I don't know if they see him walking down the street. I mean, maybe he's like, I can see, I can see. And his neighbors are like, that guy isn't. No, 
that Joe? Wasn't he blind? And they're like, oh, can't be Joe because Joe's blind. And he's like, hey, guys, it's me. I'm Joe. I can see. No, Joe's been blind since birth. It can't possibly be you. No, I can see. How are your eyes opened then, Joe? And his response is this. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. He said, go and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Well, where is he then? I don't know. I just told you. I left him, and I went and washed my face. The Pharisees then get involved, and they bring the man who was born blind, who now sees, to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, I'm just going to read this out, John 9. The Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight, and he said to them again, he put mud on my eyes. I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees says, this man's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's sinner do such signs? And there was division among the Pharisees. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since, since he's opened your eyes? And the blind man's like, he's a prophet. They didn't believe he had been blind. They didn't believe he had received his sight. So now they call his mom and his dad. It's getting a little ridiculous at this point. So, so can you vouch for the fact that this is your son and this son who says he was born blind, so is this your boy? And the parents are like, yeah, that's our boy. Well, he can see now. And he's saying that this guy named Jesus did it. So what do you think, parents? And the parents take the biggest wishy-washy move ever. Uh, uh, He's old enough. Ask him. We're out of here. Smooth. For a second time, they called the man who had been born blind. They said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And the man born blind, I mean, God bless him. I love this. I, I don't know if he's a sinner. Okay, I can't, I can't answer that. But I do know this. I was blind. Now I see. I can't explain it. I can't describe it. So they say to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man's getting irritated at this point. I've told you already and you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, I get it. You want to become one of his disciples. There's a little bit of a dig there. And they say, no, you're one of his disciples. We're disciples of Moses. Who sinned? Was it the man? No. Was it his parents? No. But that man was in a unique position to display the full grace of God to a watching world. Again, that does not make it easy for those who are born with a condition that is called intersexed. There's a difference now. We're going to move to the next concern. The intersexed is a physical reality. Um, the issue of transgender is actually an emotional identity issue, not a physical reality. And so one of the concerns, one of the, the, the arguments that's going to be thrown at us is this, but, but you don't understand. I don't fit in. I don't feel like a boy. I don't feel like a girl. I want to teach you a, a, um, a term. The term is called gender dysphoria. Um, to understand what gender dysphoria is, you just understand the opposite of dysphoria is euphoria. Euphoria is the height of elation. 
excitement and enthusiasm, a remarkable celebration that occurs. There's nothing better in that moment. You are in full euphoric mode. Dysphoria is the exact opposite. Absolute, unadulterated misery. Don't sell this short. I think if we're going to make an error as evangelical Christians, it it happens here. We come to this point, we hear somebody who talks about their gender identity issues, and we hear them say that they're having gender dysphoria, and we are skeptical right out of the gate. Hear their heart. Listen to it. Feel with them. Um... This is going to get really teachy, so forgive me. Um, much of, and I don't have a ton of time to dive into this, but it's okay, but much of the gender identity issues, the gender dysphoria that exists within our culture today is a result of a misdefinition of masculinity and femininity. Let me, let me explain a little bit. When a, when a baby is born, there's two playgrounds. There's the blue playground and the pink playground. And so when a baby girl comes, she gets put into the pink playground. A baby boy comes, he gets placed into the blue playground. The, the, the problem with those playgrounds, what those playgrounds are, let me, let me explain this. So, so the pink playground is all girly things, right? Barbies, baking, nail polish, combing your hair, cutting your sibling's hair, girly things, right? You know, skipping and singing. And the blue playground, it's all the boy things. Trucks, guns, sports, you know, the manly things. I'll stop there. The problem with those playgrounds is that in reality, folks, those aren't in the Bible. And in fact, those playgrounds represent a social construct of of our times. And let me explain this. It's a social construct that changes. It's a social construct that is, is designed based on time and location. Let me explain. I'll start with location first. So, so, so the manly men, you know, they don't have feelings. They slap each other in the back. I heard a great speak, and, and no, don't forgive me. That's fine. Um, a great speech this week, and it was men, when they hug each other, they hug and pat three times. And that's the signal, universal male signal for, I'm not gay. Okay? That's what men do, right? Ladies are much more like, oh, hi, good to see you. Okay, that, that's the social construct, right? You go to the Middle East and you tell me what happens when you walk up and you see two Middle Eastern men embrace each other and kiss each other on the lips. <laughs> Makes you rethink a mission trip is what it does. <laughs> How about, how, you look at the street, and you see, you can find Middle Eastern men walking down the street holding hands. That would never fly in our gender blue playground here in America. See, the social construct of gender really does change based on location. It also changes dramatically over time. Probably the most visible picture of this. What's the color for girls? Okay, that was easy. Don't mess this one up. What's the color for boys? Okay, do you know, around 1910, it was the exact opposite. 
If a baby boy was born, they celebrated with pink. If a baby girl was born, they celebrated with blue. Blue was gentle. Pink was a shade of red, the tough color. Somewhere around the 1930s, these evil geniuses called advertisers got involved. And from the 1930s on, they have taken those colors and completely switched them. All that to say this, the playgrounds are not biblically defined. There are some definite things that fall within the playgrounds that we can find in Scripture. But our problem is that when we define them culturally as we have, and somebody breaks out of the blue playground or the pink playground, then we freak out. And I know some of you are sitting here freaking out right now. So if it bugs you that I just said that a lot of these gender issues are social constructs, then what I want you to do this week, you have homework. Okay? Open up your Bible and find the definition of a godly woman, the definition of a godly man, because that will never expire. I want to speak to parents for a second. It is absolutely okay, dads, if your son is different than you. Maybe you're the uber machismo type who loves athletics and sports and weightlifting and guns and hunting and all that good stuff. And your boy would rather go to a musical. He'd rather bake. It's okay that your boy's different than you. But it's never okay when they're different than God. Be careful to define masculinity and femininity by God's Word. Man, and, and I know, let me, let me now, switching completely. I know. You guys are going to have to help me buy donuts for the children's workers. I'm not even close yet, so I've got to fly. I know that there are people in this room who struggle with their gender. I know that. I don't want you to hear cold and callousness. I want you to hear this. You are not a mistake. You are uniquely created with a purpose by a God who sees all and knows all and he loves you. Don't reject his design on your life and instead find him, seek him, lean into him. This is, I mean, honestly, what you're struggling with is really the struggle of all humanity. You've been created and designed in the image of God, and yet all of humanity is broken. Not just you who struggle with your gender. All of humanity is broken. I am broken. I am flawed, I am confused, and I am separated from God because of my sin, but I have been rescued and renewed by Jesus. All right, so here we go. Buckle up. Here it comes. Courage. 
There's a worldview that's going to continue to be forced on you. We walk out this door and we cling to this worldview that we have been created within the specific design and ideal of a a wonderful and and mighty and powerful God. You're going to walk out this door and you're going to face opposition immediately because there's a worldview that is now being presented that that you choose. You just decide based on your feelings. It's how you want. So I'm just going to make mention of this and and kind of brush past it, but, but, but can I be honest with you? Bruce Jenner is not a joke. He is nearly a 70-year-old man who has made changes to his body seeking freedom. That's not a joke. Because he has found no freedom. It's going to get hostile. Be courageous. Respond as Jesus responded. That means entrust yourself to the God of the universe. Entrust yourself as Jesus did on the cross into the hands of God who always judges fairly. So as, as this worldview is going to come face at us, it's coming at us, it's coming at us, come on. be courageous and, and, and anchor into God and allow him to fight the battle. But this is going to be, this is one that's like, that's easy, yeah, amen, Uniontown is right, woohoo, we should definitely do that. But here's the one where I might get complete silence. Speak up. When someone who has identified as transgender is mistreated or beaten or mocked or even murdered, speak up. Yes, he won. The love of Christ compels us to view people as broken images of God in need of recreation. Have the courage to stand up against radicalized, self-identifying Christians who would portray these people as a special class of sinners. You would have no problem, and, and, and that's going to be careful, sorry, I'm going to blame all of you for the sin of two, I've got to be careful. Some of us would have no problem going to a homosexual reality carrying those disgusting signs that we have seen on television because God hates homosexuality. But you know, God also hates those who are disobedient to their parents. So why aren't you showing up at the daycare with a sign that says, God hates brats, God hates brats. (laughs) Because what we've done is shameful. We have elevated a particular sin, a heinous sin, a sin with incredible consequences, and we've elevated it above every other sin. And that's shameful. Be courageous to stand against those who would elevate that level of sin. Be courageous to stand against those who would claim that an alternate gender is going to lead people to hell. It's not. Being outside of Jesus is going to lead you to hell. And it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, or a unicorn. I was saying about dogs, but that would have got me emails, so I won't say that. <laughs> Compassion, man. Compassion. Here's our statement on compassion. We're going to say this every week so I can fly through this, but we believe every person should be treated with compassion, love, kindness, gentleness, and dignity, no matter what their views on gender, marriage, and sexuality. Be for your neighbor. Be for your neighbor. Love them the best you can by showing them dignity but by loving them in spite of their brokenness and speaking truth to them. Show dignity. They are created in God's image. Show love. God is clear about gender identity. He is clear that it is by design, not by desire. 
So, 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 so he's just as clear about that as he is about loving our neighbor. The problem is that we're excellent Pharisees, and we will constantly ask, well, who's our neighbor? And the neighbor is the one that you can help. The neighbor is the one that you can serve in his brokenness. The Samaritan saw the man who was beaten and identified him as a neighbor, and he cared for him. Stop asking who your neighbor is. Live in light of the grace that's been given you. Embrace these people with the arms of God. Here's why. Because they're buying into a lie, a lie that all their problems are going to be fixed and the freedom's going to come. They are buying into a lie, and at some point they're going to experience the shortfall of that lie from trusting in anything other than God. We need to be a church that's prepared to deal with the sin that looks different, sounds different, and acts different than our own sin. Speak truth. <laughs> truth. If we don't speak truth, there's a hole in our gospel. They're broken just like us. Sin has come in and it has broken us. <laughs> God created us to know Him, and yet we're naturally, because of our sinfulness, at animosity with the God who created us because we have rejected His authority. We haven't believed Him. We haven't trusted Him when He says we've sinned. We've chosen our wants over Him, and that's completely typical of all of us. Yeah, we, we do great things, but we're always more committed to ourselves than we're committed to God. And because of that, we're liable of God's judgment and he is good, and he is just, and he will judge. Man, it could stop there, folks, but it doesn't. Because in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sinfulness, incredibly, the Son of God came and took on flesh and became a man, Jesus Christ. And that man willingly laid down his life for you. Where you should have died, he died. So that all of us who would turn from our sins and trust in him could experience the wonderful redemption and reconciliation through Christ. How do we know it's true? Because he ain't dead. And even though they crucified him and laid him in the tomb, three days later he took his life back up. Our God lives. He's the giver of life. The gospel is for those who have failed. The gospel is for those who are sinners. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner in the area of gender issues, homosexuality, or sexual unfaithfulness, or you lie to your parents. The good news of the gospel is for all. May we trust in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for these folks. Thank you. God, thank, thanks for their attention. Thanks for their endurance. <laughs> Lord, this is, this is not easy. Um, not easy. And I barely scratched the surface, so... So, Lord, I pray that whatever needs to be followed up on, you would bring to my mind immediately. Whatever needs to be clarified, that that, that would be clear for all of us. Lord, I pray for our children's workers that you would give them a special unction of patience in this crowd's closing moments. Um, Lord, I pray that you would apply your word deep within our hearts. I pray for the one who's with us, who is wrestling and struggling with, with who they are and how God has created them to be, whether that be with their gender or, or any other area of their life. God, would they recognize the fact that they were most definitely identified with the rest of us as broken sinners and that Jesus Christ died to save us. Lord, may we be reminded of that and may we respond. May we respond both in worshiping you for what you've done for us and by bending the knee, because you are the name above all names. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.